Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everyone, and welcome to season two of Quit Your Day Job. I am your host, Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. Have I brushed my hair today? I'm not telling, but probably not. This podcast is all about dream jobs, the ones you wished you had when you were a kid and the ones you pin up on your vision board. I decided to chase after my own in 2020 by taking a series of unpaid internships. I quit my job as CEO of a philanthropy consulting business to try my hand working on Broadway, in fitness, as an art dealer, and in a hotel. And then I wrote a book about it. My What If Year is coming from Zibby Books in February 2023. I am obsessed with the idea that you can turn your passion into your career and that it's never too late to make your dream a reality. So before you decide to quit your day job, listen to my guests as they offer a glimpse into what their worlds are really like behind the scenes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Quit Your Day Job. I have with me a super secret guest, but she's not that secret. I'm about to tell you exactly who she is. Please welcome to the podcast, Christina Hillsberg. Christina is a former CIA intelligence officer, writer, and mom. While at the CIA, Christina wrote intelligence assessments for the president, clandestinely recruited assets, need to know what that means, and collected intelligence in the field. She is also the author of a fantastic book called License to Parent, How My Career as a Spy Helped Me Raise Resourceful, Self-Sufficient Kids. And I will try not to use this whole podcast to just download parenting advice from you because that would also be very helpful. But Christina, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So this season, we're starting out with some basic training, if you will, before we get into the meat of the questions and learn all about your life as a spy and what you've been doing since I've given you a mission. So how many spy puns do you think I can come up with on this podcast? I feel like <laughs> I've probably exhausted all of them by now. I so. love it. I love it. I'm sure there are plenty more and I'm they're here just, for it. <laughs> they're just whip it out. But I would like you to tell me before we start your top five fictional spies. Okay, great. So I love this because, I mean, there are so many spies in movies and film and books. And even though they're not always the most realistic depictions on screen, I do love watching a good spy thriller. So, I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't say James Bond because the Bond franchise is obviously instrumental to espionage for good and bad reasons. I think that there have been times in the history of the franchise that it's been very problematic for the narrative, especially for female spies. But I list that because when we think of espionage, we do think of James Bond. He might be the world's worst spy because, you know, he makes a scene everywhere he goes. He really doesn't understand how to do clandestine work clandestinely. Totally. But he like is emblematic of of spies. And so we'll, we'll take him. And I love the direction that the franchise has been going. And so he would be my first answer. But second, I would say the Bond girls, can I do like two in one? Because I would say I'll, I'll allow it. women from the latest 
film, No Time to Die. Last year, we had Lashana Lynch playing Nomi, and we had Ana de Armas playing Paloma, the CIA officer in No Time to Die. And I thought both of them were so fantastic and really a great example of more capable female spies. And in that same vein, I would say... I can't leave out Sydney Bristow, you know, yes. Jennifer Garner's character from Alias. That is so important. I remember there was a time at CIA headquarters when Ben Affleck came to visit and gave a speech in the CIA's auditorium. We called it Whoa. the bubble. <laughs> Yeah, this was years ago. He was still married to Jennifer Garner and someone, it came time for Q&A and a young woman, probably in her twenties, like I was at the time, she raises her hand and she stands up and says, actually, no offense to you, Ben, but I'm here because of your wife, Jennifer. I grew up, you know, watching Sydney Bristow. It made me realize that I could be badass like her. And I just want to thank you. And so it became very clear that a lot of the women in the audience were there for her and yeah. not him, which I thought was so great. So Sydney Bristow, so that's like three, let's see. And then the women of the 355, Jessica Chastain came out in that new thriller last year. There were several leading women in it who were just fantastic. Diane Kruger, Penelope Cruz, Lupita Nyong'o. So I'm like, I'm cheating because I'm choosing multiple people for my answers, but okay. I thought that was a great example. And Jessica Chastain actually said, you know, the way that women have been depicted in espionage and TV and film in Hollywood has really been wrong. They've often been depicted as honeypots and they're so much more than that. That's not the reality of the situation. Yeah. And so I thought that was a great recent example. And then my last one, I'll say Rachel Brosnahan's character in The Courier, which came out, I think two years ago, I want to say it was 2020. And what's really interesting about this character is that it's a composite of several different women. So it's a Cold War spy thriller. And as I was watching it, I had to pull out my phone and Google who this character was, because I'm like, there's no way this is a real character. Mm. Because at that time, women were really struggling and fighting to be given operational cases and to have the same abilities and responsibilities as men at the CIA. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this character in this movie, you know, was the, the American handler of this, you know, Russian asset, I, I thought there's no way this actually happened. So of course I, I researched it and found that she was a composite of women who actually did play really important roles cool. at the time. And I just think that the movie does, I could talk about this forever, but the movie does a really great job of changing it, something that's not entirely historical, historically accurate and adding in this female role but it's so believable and it makes you realize that, you know, why couldn't a woman have done that at that time? Yeah. Of course, they weren't able to or they weren't allowed to rather. But it's a really, really great example. And I would say overall, that movie, The Courier is just a fantastic example of espionage that's a little bit more realistically done. So if you're interested yeah. in real espionage and lots of the flashy stuff, I would recommend The Courier. Oh my God, this is now like, I have such a long list of things I have to watch after this conversation. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I haven't even seen the newest James Bond, but Alias, what a good call. I remember having the DVD box sets, like all the boxes, right? and moving them to so many different places that I lived because I was like, well, I can't leave them behind. I'm obviously going to want to rewatch this like a hundred exactly. times. Exactly. So, back when, back when binging like required, you know, the effort of changing out yeah, the discs. A lot of work. Like, you know, pressing the button. Oh, let's watch one more and then press the button. Like our kids will never know. I They'll know. Never They're know. so spoiled. They're so spoiled. <laughs> yeah. 
They're so spoiled. Uh, so Jennifer Garner, if you're listening, you're still changing lives uh, left, right, and center. Okay. That was an excellent top five. Christina, thank you so much thank for you. the thinking <laughs> you put into that. And I really want to talk to you about being a woman in the CIA because I'm really fascinated by that in general. But first, I think we got to hear your story. So how did you get there? What was your journey to the CIA? It seems like this unbelievably exciting job. Fun fact, my grandfather was actually, he worked for slash with the CIA for a while. It's very really? sketchy. He, I never got a chance to really hear his stories because we didn't find out about a lot of this till after he yeah. died. Um, so I don't, I don't know that much, but I have this like aura of mystery oh, about so it in my head. So tell us about how you got there. So really for me, it was an accident, which is crazy. It sounds crazy. I, there are so many people that end up at the CIA that grow up wanting to be James Bond. My husband was one of them. For me, I studied Africa in college. I wanted to do something related to the continent. I thought it would be the Peace Corps. And I interviewed with the Peace Corps and a CIA recruiter in the same week on my college campus. Wow. And I didn't know that the CIA recruiter was from the CIA. I just knew it was some sort of government agency that was interested in foreign languages. And I spoke Swahili and Zulu. I don't keep up my Zulu <laughs> very much these days. But at the time, I was quite fluent in both. And so that made me a really attractive candidate to them. And I had a much more positive experience interviewing with the CIA than the Peace Corps, strangely. And all of kind of my interests changed when they explained to me, you know, you'd be advising U.S. policymakers. So I was recruited as an intelligence analyst. I spent the first half of my career doing intelligence analysis and the second half doing clandestine operations. I do still consider myself an analyst at heart, although my husband likes to say that if we had stayed in, I would have like permanently switched to operational work because I was good at it. But I tell him, just because you're good at something and maybe you even enjoy it, it doesn't mean that, you know, that's the thing you love the most because I love writing, which is why I'm a writer today. Um, so yeah, it was really an accident. I met with him. He said, you'll be advising U.S. policymakers on Africa. You'll get to travel to the continent. You'll be doing work with your foreign languages. And it just sounded like an absolute dream to me. And, you know, I was only 21. I had just turned 21 years old. I really didn't have a lot of life experience. I had studied in Tanzania, which of course made me a more attractive candidate, but I didn't really have a lot of life under my belt. So my whole process to get in went pretty quickly. The polygraph was a little challenging for me, <laughs> not the best experience, but I made it through and had kind of like a record clearance process of only four months, which is just unheard of and found myself, you know, going to work at the CIA. My friends were still seniors in college. I ended up graduating a year early and that's just how it worked out. I, I hadn't really planned it that way. And so my, my friends were still in college and I was like wearing a suit and going into CIA oh headquarters every day, which is just like a total mind, like <laughs> mind bed. That's awesome. And when you were growing up, what did you, was this ever something you thought you wanted to be? Did you like want to be a ballerina? Like what was your kind of game plan when you were little? You know, it's funny because I was exposed to James Bond at a very young age, probably way too young, <laughs> watching it with my dad. Like I remember watching like Goldfinger and all those things with him. He's a huge James Bond fan, but it never really dawned on me that that was something I could do. And I think that that's why it's so important that the narrative has been changing. We are seeing more female representation on screen because the female representation at that time was, you know, Honey Rider coming out of the water in her yeah, bikini. bikinis. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, eye candy, honey pots, and 
And so it was really never something that dawned on me that that I could could do. And I'm from the Midwest and you know I had my interest in language and things and wanted to do something related to Africa, but I think more than anything I wanted to be a homemaker. I wanted to be a mom like my mom was. My mom was a nurse, but then she stayed at home once she had kids and later went back to work once we were older. But I kind of just envisioned meeting a college sweetheart getting married and and living in the Midwest. And, but it was like, as I was in college, I became more and more interested in Africa and realized I had these kind of international ambitions. And so for me, it just kind of made sense because it was this international career. And, and it's sort of ironic that I was there. A lot of people are motivated by patriotism for the U.S. You know, I joined mm-hmm. post 9-11, but I was motivated by my love for a foreign land, <laughs> which is really, you know, of course, <laughs> they make sure you're not a sympathizer in the way that, you know, you would be sharing intelligence. But I just really viewed it as an opportunity I mean, you feel a lot like you're paid to be a student when you're an analyst because you're researching and and you're the an expert on this area, on these foreign leaders, and you're getting to, you know, impact U.S. policy. Now, an important distinction that I like to tell people is that, you know, at the CIA, we don't make policy. You know, we write yeah. objective analysis. We're laying out, this is the scene. This is what would likely happen. These are the opportunities for the U.S., right? But then it's up to the president to make those policy decisions, you know, for policymakers to, to do that based on the intelligence they receive. And so we, it's a very big no-no to be policy prescriptive. And so you mm. go through a lot of training to make sure that you are not, you know, leaning towards one way or the other when you're writing something. And so I really felt like my job was to educate about an area of the world that I really loved. And so I felt really lucky. I mean, of course, the idea of writing and researching doesn't sound interesting to a lot of people, but but it did to me. But then, like I said, I switched to operations, which is a whole different ball of wax and was really fun for me. That's kind of the tip of the spear. You're actually meeting with assets, collecting intelligence, and bringing it back to then the analysts then write things. And so you're actually out in the field. And that's when you're doing things like making sure no one's following you, protecting your assets, you know, covert communications, the things that you think of more when you think of espionage. So that was, yeah, more, more than you asked, but no, I never thought I would do this. I thought I'd be, you know, a mom or who knows what, I mean, and now you're, now you're both, now you're both. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You know, I thought I, which, you know, even if I was only, you know, even if I had stayed in the Midwest and had a family and and not done anything else, you know, I think that's a great thing for people to do as well. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about your very cool spy training. I know you probably can't share everything that you actually did, but how are you prepared to then join the CIA on both sides of things, the analyst side and the operations side? So the training at the agency is really some of the best training in the world. And I think really, I didn't truly come to appreciate that until I left. You know, I've worked um, at other companies since leaving the agency and seen kind of the different ways that that organizations train. And really, there is nothing like what the CIA does, you know, from an analytics standpoint and operationally, the training is just so I mean, just top notch, you know, you are learning from people with incredible experience. And the thing particularly on the operational side is that they are training you for the worst case scenario. And because they want you to be prepared for whatever you could encounter when you're in the field, right? And and it's really important that we keep not just ourselves safe, not just the information we get, but the assets, the people who are risking their lives to give us this information. We want to protect them and keep them safe. And, you know, I remember I had a training instructor say like, you know, we're the good guys, you know, we take care of our people long after they're gone even. So for example, I talk in our book about 
how sometimes even when assets pass away, like there are some cases where we aren't able to pay them throughout their relationship because that would be a red flag if they were getting all this money that they wouldn't have as nature of their position, right? So right. we keep it in a safe account for them. And there are certainly instances where they pass away and their families had no idea that they had a relationship with the CIA. We will find their next of kin and we will give them that money wow. and we will make sure they're taken care of. And other intelligence services, you know, some places they, they don't do that. It makes you wonder why some people like Ed Snowden, who my husband worked with actually, would defect somewhere like Russia, because I can guarantee you that those intelligence services, and I'm sure this doesn't come hard to believe to a lot of people, especially based on recent current events, do not take care of their assets in the way that the CIA does. And it really is about preparing its officers really for anything, like I was saying. And and that's what, you know, my husband and I have really taken to heart because we use that same approach with our kids because we want to give our kids autonomy in the same way that CIA officers are given so much autonomy to meet one-on-one with assets, right? You're you're going in, you're given, you know, so much leeway off the bat, you know, trust to be meeting with these people and saying that you're meeting with them, saying that you've paid them thousands of dollars and you're coming back with some sort of scribbled receipt on an index card that you wrote up, you know, and they're trusting you with that information. And so in the same way, we want to give our kids autonomy and we want to give them trust because we want to prepare them for life. And so we use kind of that same concept to adapt some of the principles that we learned in CIA training to prepare our kids for the world. So I think there's like so many ways to apply that training. And it just comes down to the fact that it's just so phenomenal. And I think we appreciate it even more after having left. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Something that I thought was extreme, that's really stuck with me from your book and the conversations that I've listened to with you and your husband uh, on different podcasts, including Zibby's podcast, was this idea that the training is actually set up so some people will fail because there's learning in that failure. And that is like such a crucial lesson for, well, everything in life, but definitely parenting, like this idea that you have to create space for failure if you are ever going to be able to learn from a situation. I just thought that was like, it's so like mind blowing, actually. It is so true. And I am someone who I'm like type A, you know, like straight A student. Like my parents never had to really tell me to do my homework. Like I've just always been. So I hate failing and I have hated failing like (laughs) since I was very, very young. I feel like it's like in my bones. And so that was very uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me in operational training. 
I actually was the failure example in one class. Oh no. <laughs> you know, they, they count on someone making the wrong call. And, and that particular day it was me. And I remember it was a surveillance detection course and I was doing a route and you have to say at the end, whether or not you had friends on you, whether or not you're being followed and you get to the decision point and you have to say, cause if you're being followed, you would flow through and not go to your operational meeting. Of course, this okay. is fictional, it's training. And if you were being involved or if you were not, then you would do like a hard right or a hard left and you'd go to the meeting. And I just, I didn't, I didn't confirm surveillance, but I was doubting myself and doubting my route. And in, in the real world, I probably would have added a couple legs or something and, and done something else to confirm it, but I had to make a call and, and it came down to, I just doubted myself. Yeah. And I just remember sitting on the side of the road, right. And I were dating at the time and, and I called him cause he was in a different location and I'm just crying. Like Aww. I failed, I'm going to fail the whole class, you know, and the next day I was the example and it's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable, but they, so they, they're actually holding you. You're like, they're being like, okay, Christina's yeah. the failure. Let Let's talk about yeah, what yeah, it's yeah. You know, it was me and one other person, and yeah, it was like what not to do, and it's very humbling. It oh, absolutely wow. is, but <laughs> but you will never make that same mistake again, right? You really are learning from it. I will say that I think on the analytics side, it's it's a little less harsh. Like there's definitely like a lot of hard editing, but there's like more like like papping you up, like you're the cream of the crop. You're here because you're amazing. Like you're so smart. Whereas on the operational side, it's like you failed. No. <laughs> It's a little bit harder. <laughs> it's that, the um, first part is a bit like my book editing process. Just like this book is amazing, we love it. Now I need you to rewrite the entire first half yes, of the yeah. book. <laughs> Exactly. So it's, it's hard, you know, and I noticed like my five-year-old, he's so much like me. And so he really doesn't like to fail. And so he will do what I have spent most of my life doing, which is avoiding things that if I know I'm not good at them. And he mm -hmm. has already been like this since he was like three. And so I was trying to break him out of that. And, and I think really going through that at the CIA has helped me learn how to do that more as an adult. And it really wasn't until my thirties that I started trying more things like outside of work, like, you know, extracurricular activities. I don't know. Can you call them that <laughs> now <laughs> hobbies? I don't know. Um, I like to use Evrodsky's term unicorn space. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I've been doing more of that at, and these ages, because I think it's so important for us to model for our kids that we're never too old, you know, to try a new skill or try a new job, Yeah, you know, and like start a completely new chapter of your life, which I think has been one of the most fun and rewarding things that I've realized in the last 10 years is that we can have these new chapters and try these new skills and, and we may be great at them or we may be terrible at them and that's okay too, or we can fall somewhere in between. And so I think when our kids see us trying new things and then they even, when they see us fail and we model that for them, that helps them know that they can do it too. And that it's okay if they're not the best at something, but it's a constant battle for me because I feel like I have like an inner tiger mom that's like, <laughs> like I try to, I try to constantly like tampering down. her down. Yes, oh my God. Yes. So my I definitely can balances relate. Me. Yeah. He balances me out. <laughs> So what, in those kind of early days, um, when you arrived, you're a really young woman. I imagine the CIA is very male dominated. Is that just perception that's not true? Is it more of a kind of, uh, you know, decent gender split, equally balanced gender split? Or were you so it's almost one of the only young women? 
okay. now. It's almost 50% now. Now this was almost 20 years ago. <laughs> oh my gosh. When I started, I, oh my gosh, that's so scary to say. But I know just in the last couple of years, it's been a almost a 50-50 split, men and women. Now that said, it varies according to directorate, you know, part of the agency. There are, you know, historically fewer operations officers. With f- there are, let me say that again. There are historically fewer female operations okay. officers than men. That part of the agency has always been very male dominated. You know, from the 50s and 60s, you can read there are like declassified intelligence cables where women share their experiences and they say that they were just told, well, women can't do operations work because they have families. Yeah. Well, so do men they have families too. And so there are these preconceived notions that, or that women are too emotional, that they won't be able to do this, but actually women bring a lot of skills to the table that often men don't have. And, you know, over the years, I think by the mid eighties, women were recruiting more assets and playing much bigger roles. And they are even today, but there is definitely still, I mean, there's so much progress that's been done and there are many more women in these roles, but there is definitely a drop-off when you get to more senior roles. So when you get to what's called GS 13, grade step 13, it kind of, the percentages drop drastically. There are fewer women who are getting to the senior most positions and um, there are a variety of reasons for that, you know, but, but yeah, it's still, I think it's, it's a balance. It's, it's something we can celebrate, but there's still some work to be done as far as um, female representation there goes. And you became a mom after you left the agency. Is that right? Yeah. I became a stepmom. Okay. So I became a stepmom when I married Ryan, when I was still at the agency and then birthed my son after having left. So we have five kids together. So nice, nice, healthy yeah, number so, of kids. Yeah, so three, <laughs> three of bigs, which are actually our oldest, just got home for the summer, which is crazy because she's <laughs> done with college oh, and wow. done for the summer. But the summer doesn't really start in Seattle area until July. Yeah, I'm like, hold <laughs> up, it's May. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it does not get remotely nice here until the 4th of July, but she's home for summer. So she's 19. And then we have a 17 year old and a 15 year old and a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So the youngest two we obviously had together. So that was, I was actually at Amazon when I had my son. Okay. And do you think you could have stayed in the agency and balanced that with being a mom? Do you feel like they're doing enough to make that career compatible with being a parent? You know, sometimes I think I could have because I do I do have a lot of friends who are still there who have gone part-time having since become moms, whether temporarily or, you know, like while their kids are young and then they come back full-time, there's like different. And so when I see some of those things, I think like, oh, I, you know, I could have done that, but I think it is still challenging and you do still miss out on a lot of opportunities. There were women going through this stage when I was, you know, there in my twenties and was like, no, nowhere near even thinking about having kids. And I remember not really being understanding of the transition that they were going in and the opportunities that, you know, one of them was missing out on by being part-time. And so I think I could have done it. It would have been very challenging. I think for me, I'm a very extreme personality. (laughs) So when I work, I, I am like really obsessive and I love to work. And so I think it would have been really difficult for me to balance it. 
And of course, you know, thinking about different opportunities and I don't like to be away from my kids. So I think I could have done it. I think it would have been challenging because I wouldn't have been, I mean, because when I was there, it was my twenties where I lived and breathed work. I didn't have other responsibilities. And so I was able to give it my all. And so I think it would have been really difficult. I think the agency has come a long way and is trying to be more understanding and flexible, but there is a lot of work to do in that regard. So, you know, and it's funny because I tell people I left because of our family situation, right? And, you know, technically that's true. You know, my husband had three kids. We got married. We could not do another tour and bring them along because Mm -hmm. their bio mom at the time um, was not amenable to that. And so we left because we weren't willing to go somewhere without them. But the reality is I think I always envisioned leaving at some point. Mm-hmm. I didn't know under what circumstances or how, but I had kind of this, sounds really hokey, this vision of like turning in my badge, you know, walking over that seal on the floor for the last time and not going back. And, and I just, so even though sometimes I, it's like, oh, I left, you know, and this can become when you're married, you know, different issues, like I left for you, you know, <laughs> especially when you're missing something, you think of things with rose colored glasses. And, and the reality is I, I recently went on a trip with some girlfriends who are still at the agency. And I realized that we, I think with anything in life as people, we can look back with rose colored glasses and remember like all of the amazing things, especially when I have a a writing career now where I talk a lot about all the great things about the agency. There are some things that I don't miss, right? (laughs) And I have a very creative life now and I don't have the same restrictions on me as I had when I was there. I can write, you know, yes, I have to get some things cleared through them, but I can write, you know, I'm not writing intelligence reports. I'm writing creatively and that's really, fulfilling. I can travel, you know, given, you know, that there's no global pandemic, I can travel without asking, you know, for permission. I can be friends with people from whatever country I want. You know, <laughs> I can do drugs if I want to. I don't, but, but if I wanted to, I could. you could, you could, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just this idea of having that, you know, agency over yourself. But that that's amazing that all those things were restricted when you were there. Right. Yeah. And you, that was just part of the job. So you could yes. Wow, that's so neat. And how dating foreigners, the whole thing. Like if you had met someone overseas, you got one freebie. (laughs) So so if you had free one. You could just be going around having one night stands with whomever, I guess. Okay. But like if you had like a one night stand with a foreign citizen, a foreign national, you if you never planned on contacting them again, you would not have to report it. Oh <laughs> but if my you God. Kept in touch, you would have to fill out paperwork for your manager about that person. <gasps> so, oh yeah. So it's really, you just don't have privacy, you know, it's just, which I think is why even today when I see different things about like, you know, companies and your data and your privacy, I almost like, it doesn't bother me in a way because I feel like I've already, like, yeah. I'm used to like, you the know, U.S. government thing. already like, knows everything about yeah. you. So, yeah. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So now I have to ask you, your book is about using spy techniques as a parent, but how have you used them in your life as an author? Is there anything you've gleaned from your time at the CIA that's like helped you on your book tour or any of the yeah. new things that you get to do as a writer? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I learned how to write at the CIA. I mean, I'm a firm believer that like our kids don't really learn how to write in school. And I just went through another example of this with our 17 year old son. And and it's disappointing because the, the teachers and professors who are there to help them write, I just, 
it turns kids off from writing and they think that writing is so boring and awful and really it can be so joyful. And so I feel like I really learned how to truly write at the agency. And that is how I was able to write a book, right? And then um, my experience briefing there, you know, public speaking and and all of that helped me through the book tour to be able to engage uh, with people in interviews and that kind of thing that definitely prepared me for that as well. And then I think the other skill that I think just helps me in life that we teach to our kids is this idea of you, me, same, same, that we use at the agency, you know, with an asset, you want to build trust. And we do that through common ground, talking about ways that we're, you know, common interests, ways that we're more alike than we are different so that we can build that trust. And then of course, ultimately convince that person to a clandestine relationship with the CIA. Right. But we teach this to our kids because we want our kids to be able to build relationships of trust with their friends, you know, yeah. and um, to help them through life. And so that actually, that skill set has been really important to me, uh, not just in my writing career, but, you know, for a time I was in tech. So when I first left CIA, I was working as a woman in tech, and that comes with a lot of challenges. I like to tell people that I was in this like bizarro universe where there was never a line for the women's restroom, but there was always a line for the men's. Oh my God. And so that (laughs) right there says it all, right? So I really leaned on what I learned at the agency about building trust to help me meet my professional goals there because I had the odds stacked against me from the get-go as a woman Mm. coming in with a top secret background that I couldn't share much about. So people didn't really understand. And I was a woman. And so using some of those skills to build trust was extremely useful for me. Love it. Now, the last question I usually ask people is what advice they would have for anybody who wants to go into their field. I don't know if anybody can, just anybody can go work for the CIA. I imagine you no. Because... <laughs> well, you can certainly try. Uh, you can certainly try. You can apply online. And of course, it's a very lengthy process. People like to ask, you know, what should I study if I want to work at the agency? But what I always say is that intelligence priorities change. Of course, there are ones that you kind of can assume will never change, like Russia, obviously, mm-hmm. or China, you know, so if you want to, if you're really interested in learning Mandarin, or you're really interested in learning Russian, but I like to say that people should be genuinely interested in what they're doing, because those intelligence priorities can change. And so you don't want to feel like, oh, I only learned this because I thought the CIA wanted us this, and now the CIA wants something else, right? Mm. So I encourage people, don't try to guess what they want, just do something that you're genuinely interested Like I was genuinely interested in Africa and African languages and thankfully it worked out for me. And, you know, so I just tell people to follow what they're interested in. Of course, having a foreign language is so helpful, but there are so many different careers at the CIA. Like a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they have just about everything you would have somewhere else. There are doctors, there are psychologists, there are librarians, Uh, There are just so many different lines of work there uh, that you can do. There are lawyers. And so, you know, there are, of course, people who are intelligence analysts or operations officers like my husband and and me were. But yeah, there are lots of different things. You can go online, you can apply, and it's a very lengthy process. But I think it is also a very rewarding career. Of course, there are trade-offs like anything in life, but there are some incredible people there. The training is fantastic. And the caliber of people really... I don't think I'll ever work somewhere with such highly intelligent and capable people. I really won't. And in that way, I think I was really spoiled because the caliber of people like that just doesn't exist anywhere. And so I'm thankful for my colleagues who are still there because the thing about intelligence work is that 
you're not in the spotlight. You're not giving interviews like I'm giving now. You know, the life I have now is very different. You know, I was working in the shadows. Now I'm in the spotlight, (laughs) which which at first was like a, a, a big change. But, you know, their failures are known and their successes are not. And so that is a very particular lifestyle and sacrifices that people are making on our behalf. And I'm thankful for my colleagues who are still fighting the good fight. Amazing. Where now people can go and buy your book in bookstores. Where else can people learn more about you or find your work online? Sure. They can go to my website, which is christinahillsberg.com and follow me on Instagram at christinahillsberg and on Twitter at christinahillsby and look forward to connecting with people there. I always feel free to reach out. I sometimes zoom in for book clubs as well. There's a great book club discussion kit that I link to on my website for licensed to parent and happy to do those as well. Awesome. Christina, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. And thank you for sharing all of your top secret secrets with me today. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are a Zcast production and want to send huge thanks to the whole Zippy Books team for their support. You can find me on Instagram at Alicia F. Miranda. I would love to hear what you thought about this episode, any others, future jobs you want me to interview, or burning questions you think I should ask my upcoming guests. And if you decide to quit your day job, let me know that too. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.